Happy fifth Sunday. It's the fifth Sunday. Five is the number of grace in the Bible. So I'm believing today that there is just an extra measure of grace on your life to receive what the Lord is going to impart to you. Amen. Welcome to church. If you're watching online, go ahead and drop an emoji to let us know that you are engaged. You've got your pen, your paper, your notes, your Bible, your Bible. Who has a Bible, a physical Bible in the room today? I'm not, I'm not being prejudiced. I just want to see them. Can, I, can you just wave a real Bible? Oh, yes. All the way from India. Oh, back row. Yeah, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Oh, no. Eleven's the number of chaos. Anyone else? All right, let's go to digital Bibles. You've got digital Bibles. Raise your hand. Okay, okay. That's, that's abundance right there. God is in the room. He's going to show up. I need someone else to bring a physical Bible next week so we don't hit eleven again. I, I love digital Bibles, and I'm not knocking them, but there's just something about hearing these pages turn and then like seeing the underlines of where you had been before and where Holy, Holy Spirit had taken you before, the highlights. And sometimes I can't read my writing. And I'm like, well, what was God trying to say? I think I wrote in tongues over here. Today is a good day to renew my mind, encourage my soul, align with truth, and walk in faith. Today we will awaken and develop purpose. Are you with me? Can we agree? Are we in unity? Today we will develop an awakened purpose. It's a good day. We're in a series called Building Blocks, and I've not preached in three weeks. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know that I'm going to preach today. Today is going to be some teaching. We're going to walk through an entire chapter. Um, I'm excited about it. We're just going to go verse by verse and just kind of unpack. That's why I think the physical Bible people are going to have a, an advantage in today's sermon. Um, but I do want to just acknowledge the fact that the last three weeks have been absolutely amazing for my family. Uh, we, we had people here, uh, people in my family, from Australia and from Tennessee, all in one roof. It was like every minute was a circus at our house, and everyone went home on Thursday, and then Carrie and I have been cleaning ever since. We missed them like crazy, but it was such a beautiful time. And during that time, we got to hear a panel on family, building family, even in mess. And I think that was good. We shared our family story with you. If you weren't here for that Sunday, I really recommend that you go back and watch that online. I've had so much positive feedback from that. Then the following week, we had Micah Rose all the way from down under uh, deliver an amazing message. And he talked about lost but found and tagger it it was brilliant i sat there thinking this kid can preach and uh then last week we had the one and only greg wheeler on platform yeah he talked on the gradual becoming a gradual becoming and he broke down how and why god builds our character through dreams and adventures and that was wonderful and today, I just want to carry on the theme of Joseph. I love Joseph in the Bible. It's such a great character and uh, represents Jesus that ties into Jesus so clearly. I just love it. So today, rather than just run quickly through Scripture, I just want to walk through a chapter with you. Is that all right? Can we just do that? 
together. Let me catch you up on the story of Joseph real quick. Uh, Joseph was a privileged son. We know because he got a coat of many colors. He had 11 brothers. The coat was a coat not for the working class. It was kind of for royalty. So he would go out in the field while his brothers were doing all the work and he would wear his coat and he wasn't dressed for work. We know he was uh, favored by his father. His father loved him. Their family was pretty dysfunctional. We've talked about that. Uh, He was hated by his brothers. So anyone in the room, don't raise your hand. You're hated by your sibling. It's okay. Joseph was too. Joseph was hated possibly though for good reason. He was hated possibly for good reason. I don't know about your situation, but self-evaluate. Self-evaluate. I told my kids, this is just extra wisdom, but I, I talked to my kids this week about leadership. And I try to give them leadership nuggets because part of, I think, developing healthy adults is teaching them how to lead and how to follow other people. And we were talking about gossip. I hate gossip. I really do. But I told them the power of gossip and the mark of a humble leader is that you don't just dismiss all gossip as if it's irrelevant. Irrelevant. You weigh it. You evaluate it. You put it on the scale. Because sometimes lies are birthed from partial truths. And God can use someone's attack, the enemy's attack, to birth something new and rich inside of you. So if someone is talking mess about you, don't just, don't just write it off. Evaluate it with the help of the Holy Spirit and see if there's a parcel of truth. And if there is, allow Holy Spirit to change that inside of you. So he was hated by his brothers, possibly for good reason. And had he been a little more self-aware and, and critic aware, he might have changed for the better. But instead, they decided to sell him into slavery. The brothers sold Joseph into slavery. They wanted to murder him, so I guess slavery was the next best thing. Uh, He landed in the house of Potiphar, a high official in the Egyptian government, and God blessed him while he was a slave in Potiphar's house and gave him remarkable authority. So even though Joseph was a slave, God richly blessed him. And because he resisted temptation and seduction, He said no to Potiphar's wife and all the things that were going on there in the mansion. He was thrown into prison. So now our story picks up, our series picks up with Joseph in prison. Will you stand with me real quick? We're going to go through the entire chapter, but I'm not going to have you stand for the entire chapter. I just want to have you stand for our launching point. All right, our launching point. We're going to back up a few verses from Genesis 40, which is where we're going to be today. And I want to read to you Genesis 39, verse 21. We find that Joseph is in prison, and the most critical, the most important phrase that I think you should have underlined in your Bible is this. But the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. So in Potiphar's house, guess what? The Lord was with Joseph. When he was sold into slavery, the traders that were heading down to Egypt, when when the transition was made from the hands of the brothers to, I I believe it was the, I could be wrong on this, don't quote me, Midianite uh, convoy, the Lord was with Joseph. When he ended up in the pit, the Lord was with 
Joseph. And what did the Lord do? Showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. So no matter where you are today, on top of the mountain or in the valley, I'm here to remind you that the Lord is with you. And favor can be found on the mountaintop, and favor can still be found in a valley. Father, we come before you today. I thank you. I thank you so much for our time together, the time we have to just unpack Genesis 40 and the depth of your word. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to our hearts, our circumstances, our spirits, that we would just be encouraged in you. God, if there be anything that would be a distraction, a hindrance to us receiving all that you have today, any offenses that we're carrying, any bitterness that we're holding, any walls that we've built to protect ourselves, we just surrender that to you. And we ask for a flood of your grace today, a flood of your mercy and a flood of your favor. In Jesus' name, I pray, let the church say, amen. Before you sit down, I want you to turn to two or three people and say this, Everywhere is somewhere when the Lord is there. Everywhere is somewhere when the Lord is there. If you're watching online, go ahead and type that in. Everywhere is somewhere when the Lord is there. Everywhere is somewhere when the Lord is there. In 1939, the groundbreaking movie Wizard of Oz hit the screens. You remember the film? It opens with, uh, well, I, I suppose everybody remembers the film. If you don't know the Wizard of Oz, welcome to Earth. Uh, we need to get you caught up. In the Wizard of Oz, the scene opens with Judy Garland, who's playing Dorothy, and she's singing, Somewhere over the rainbow. You remember that? What's the next line? Oh, brave people singing. What's the next line? Yes, very good. The next line for me is always. I only know somewhere over the rainbow. That's all that I know. But she's singing that, and the story opens, and she meets the tin man. What is the tin man missing? He's missing the heart, the, the scarecrow is missing, and the lion is missing courage. Very good. And they make their way down the yellow brick road to the land of Oz. But alas, you get to Oz, and the destination is not quite what they expected. And I think that's exactly what Greg talked on last week, the journey when it looks different than what you anticipated. The whole story, The Wizard of Oz, the end is the boring part, to be quite honest. The journey is the fun part. The whole movie is about the journey from getting here to there. I don't think we're in Kansas anymore. But, alas, there is no Wizard of Oz. There is no Toto. There is no Dorothy or Scarecrow or Tin Man. It was just a movie and just a tale. But I want to turn to a story in the Bible that feels a lot like a fairy tale. When I read Genesis 40, I'm reminded of many different movies and classics that have gone by through the years. And it feels just so 
grandiose that it couldn't be real, but Genesis chapter 40 is very real. So as we read through Genesis 40 today, I would just want you to not make the mistake that this is an allegory, that this is symbolism, that this is somehow just teaching a moral lesson. These are things that actually happened in Scripture. Turn with me in your real or fake Bibles, Genesis chapter 40. By the way, you know I'm just playing. Please don't feel shame if you're using your Bible on your phone. But while you're on there, go ahead and share our stream on Facebook, on YouTube. Go ahead and use it for glory, okay? Genesis chapter 40, verses 1 through 3. And it came to pass after these things that the butler... And the baker, by the way, that's the title of my sermon today, the butler and the baker. These things that the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker. So he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison, the place where Joseph was confined. Now, in these first three verses, we're introduced to two new characters in Scripture. We don't see them before this point. We, we don't see them really after this point. Uh, but it's the butler and the baker. Uh, I keep looking for the candlestick and the teacup. Because the butler and the baker reminds me of Beauty and the Beast. Does, does it not you? Like, there's a butler, there's a baker. But when we say butler, by the way... This butler is not wearing a tuxedo. He's not wearing a top hat. He's not wearing a bow tie. He doesn't have a white towel draped over his sleeve. That's not what the butler does. There's a, a better translation than the New King James Version, which we're reading, which I've chosen to share with you today, because I like the word butler. But the NIV, the ESV, and many other translations translate it as, if you have a different Bible than me, you've not read butler, you've read what? cupbearer. That's a better translation because that's actually what the butler did in those days. The butler was in charge of making sure that any food or drink that got to the king wasn't tainted. It wasn't poisoned because oftentimes to kill the king, they would try to poison food. And so the cupbearer, before the king would take a sip of wine, he would take a smell. I, I don't drink wine, so I think you do it like that. Oh, pinky up. <laughs> he would take a drink to make sure he didn't die. If it was good, he would set it down. Then the king would be served his Chick-fil-A. And he would take a nugget, and he would pick it up, and he would have a nibble. But he couldn't stop with just one, so he took a second one, because it's Chick-fil-A. And he would eat it, and if he didn't die, then the king would eat. So the cupbearer would make sure that the king stayed alive, Okay. The, but, the butler and the baker got thrown into jail. Now, a baker in those days baked. Exactly what it says. There's no hidden translation or misunderstanding. He, he baked the bread. He baked the food for the king. He made sure. So we see the food traveling from the baker in the kitchen to the butler who brings it to the king. And they're thrown into prison on the same day. Now, Scripture doesn't tell us why the butler and the baker go to prison, but I have a thought. 
This is just my conjecture. It's just my idea. You don't have to believe it. You don't, this is not gospel. I think the butler and the baker got thrown into prison on the same day because possibly there was an attempt to take the king's life. Maybe they found some tainted food that came from the kitchen that the cupbearer did not report. And so while they figure out who's in charge of the plot to kill the king, they decided to put both the cupbearer and the baker in the prison until they figured it out. That seems logical, doesn't it? That's my thoughts, anyway. Scripture doesn't tell us that, but let's move on with our story, because that's my guess. There's a plot to kill the king. They both get thrown in prison, and they get thrown in prison at the same time that Joseph is there. Then in verse 4, the captain of the guard charged Joseph, our main character, charged Joseph with them, and he served them. So they were in custody for a while. Now, I want to stop here to make sure that we all understand in leadership, in the kingdom at least, leadership means service. Authority means service. In the world out there, it it should mean that as well, but it doesn't always. Sometimes the, the big boss It's funny, I used to teach uh, kids in China English, and all of my my Chinese kids, I would ask them what their family does. In my introductory class, I was trying to get to know them, and anytime their dad was a CEO, the way that it translates was big boss. And so they would say, my dad is big boss. And I'm I'm like, that sounds so cool. I want to be a big boss. Big boss. Out there in the world, the big boss tells everyone else what to do, and he gets his coffee. He has a secretary that gets his coffee and his tea and his lunch and his shake. And do you know what I mean? Like out there, we know who the big boss is. But in the kingdom, you want to find the big boss, you need to look for the one who's serving the most. You want to know who the big leader is, look for the one who's doing things behind the scenes that doesn't get recognition the most. If you want to be great in the kingdom, you have to serve the most. That's exactly what Jesus did. We know that Jesus came to serve, not to be served. In Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 through 28, Jesus said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, the fact that they're the rulers, and their high officials exercise authority over them, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Joseph served. At the Exchange Church, we've recently gone back to communicating the five core values that we began with in the beginning. Excellence. Anyone here remember, before I just throw them out, the five core values that we launched the church with. Now, if you were at team night two weeks ago, don't cheat because you know them. But anyone besides that, that maybe you didn't get to make team night, anyone remember the five core values? E-E-R-S-S is a little hint. Excellence, evangelism, relationships, servanthood, and stewardship. 
Those are the things that we value as a church. As Carrie and I, we began this church. Holy Spirit led us to those five things. And through time, the core values have taken on different names, but all funneled back to those same core principles. Excellence, doing the best we can with what we have. That's not perfection. But if we can do it right, we're going to do it right. If we can do it well, we're going to do it well. That means when I, I'm vacuuming the carpet, which I do on most Thursdays, sometimes Friday, and maybe on really busy weeks, Sunday morning, but usually Thursdays. That means when I'm vacuuming carpet, if I see uh, fingernails on aisle two, I, I know so much about all of you people just from <laughs> vacuuming. I know where conviction settles the most in my sermons because I see your, your skin pickings all over the seat. No, I, I see some stuff around these parts. But excellence means I don't miss a nail and say that's good enough. It means I don't miss this feather, which I, I'm just going to chalk this up and say probably Pedro was wearing something feathery today. Oh, it really is from your jeans? That's a Holy Spirit guess. Um, like, if I was cleaning the church, I'm just giving you an example of excellence. I'm not going to leave that. Oh, no. You know what I mean? Excellence is a core value, not because we want to be perfect, not because we want to impress you. We want to be good stewards of what God has given us. And so we're just excellent. God deserves our best. He gave his all for us. I want to give my all for him. But this is, not, this is not my sermon, so I have to move on. Excellence is just a thing that I feel like as a church we might maybe, possibly, potentially be slipping on. Because COVID made everybody just tread water. And so rather than us like swimming 500 meters competitions, we're still treading water while other people, while the world's already in the pool having races again. Like it's, it's time for us to get our game back, get our game face back on. You know what I mean? But this is not my sermon, so I don't want to take you on a, a rabbit trail. Excellence, evangelism. COVID drew us inward. And that was fine for a season, and we needed it, and it was healthy, and it felt good. I remember that first Sunday, but we'd shut down for a few weeks, as everyone did, when it all surfaced, and nobody knew what was going on, and we jumped to service online for a couple weeks. And then I remember that first Sunday back, coming in the room, and it was a small crowd, but 100% of the people in the room wanted to be there, wanted to worship. They had, they had missed the two weeks, or what, how many ever weeks it was. It was just a handful. Was it, I don't remember. Anyone? Two. Two Sundays. And then we, we were hit the ground back running because I was like, no, 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 no. We're going to worship God even, even if, even when, even though. And so we got back in the room, and it was electric. It was amazing, and it was wonderful. But, but over the last three years, we just kept looking inward. And we forgot that there's a whole world dying, not just of COVID. They're dying of sin. They're dying separated from God. They're dying not knowing that God sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for us. We got to get it. Sundays are great. The problem with the American church is we think that 
Super Bowl Sundays are the win. This is not the win. This is the rest. This is the halftime. This is the eat your orange slices and drink your water. And then get back out there and and be the church. Like, church happens out there. Are you with me? Somehow we created a model. I'm really off my notes, but I hope that's okay. Somehow we created a church model that centered around a Sunday morning gathering. And that's never what was meant to happen in the church. This was not actually meant to be the place where we bring all of our friends so that the pastor can share the gospel. Oh, God. You're supposed to be mature enough, if you've been a Christian for more than 60 days, I'm talking to you. You're supposed to be mature enough in your faith to lead someone to the foot of the cross out there. Get them saved in a relationship with Jesus, and then you bring them here for family time. But what we've done is, and I'm not anti-big church at all. I love big churches, and I cannot lie. I just thought of that. Isn't that hilarious? I like big churches, and I cannot lie. Now, if you know the next lyric on that one, you need Jesus really bad. I want to honor big churches as I say this. I want you to hear my heart. And oftentimes we build a big church by focusing on making this time the time that we win converts. And here, I want to relieve you of your responsibility as a believer. I don't want you to be uncomfortable Monday through Friday in your work environment sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't want you to feel the weight. I don't want you to feel conviction because you don't know the book of Romans yet. You don't know Romans 3.23 or 8.28 or the verses that you need to lead someone to Jesus. And that's okay if you're in the room and you don't know that. But I'm not going to carry that burden for you. That's your burden to carry and to rectify. You're a believer. You should know how you're saved, why you're saved, how to get the next person saved. That's how the church grows. And so we look at the Sunday church service as this aquarium where we bring all the people that don't know Jesus so they can finally meet Jesus here. And I want people to meet Jesus here. But we would be so much more effective if instead of one hour a week, we viewed that as the place where people meet Jesus. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, everywhere you go is the place where people meet Jesus. Wow. Am I, is this too harsh? Well, I I appreciate that, but I'm looking at my wife because she'll tell me after church. She'll be be honest with me now, baby. Okay. Evangelism, excellence evangelism, relationships. I can't get into that. I'm not preaching about our core values, except to say that servanthood is one of our core values. And and Joseph, in our text, verse 4, he served the new prisoners. He didn't haze them. He didn't make them feel less than. He didn't make them feel like they didn't know the system. He served them. 
So in your job, when you get that first day employee, are you serving them? Let's just put it in your world. You, you get that new teacher, students. September's coming up, you're getting a new teacher. Are you going to make her prove herself, him prove himself? Or are you there on day one to serve him or her? That's what Jesus would do. We're here to serve. And Joseph served. I love that he served the butler and the baker. Verse 5. I can see we're not going to get through the whole chapter. We might. We might. We'll see how. I bet only the real Bible carriers stay for the whole sermon. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I, mo- I don't care. I don't need to defend myself. I'm just kidding. You know I'm kidding. Use any Bible you want. I don't even care the translation. I actually do, but I'm not. That's not in my sermon. Okay, Genesis chapter 40. Let's get back to the word. You guys have had your fun. Let's focus, class. Verse 5. Then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, had a dream. Both of them. Each man's dream in one night, and each man's dream with its own interpretation. So they had two different dreams. Now, I want to talk about dreams for just a moment. I'm a dreamer. Anyone in a, a dreamer in the room? By a dreamer, I don't mean you have goals. I mean you go to sleep and you dream. Some of you, who here, you either dream, don't dream or you don't remember your dreams? Some of you? Okay. You know what that means, right? When you don't. You can't even remember what I just said two seconds ago. How are you going to remember a dream? I'm talking to these people who don't remember dreams. That just means you worked really hard during the day and your body is recuperating. So all of you who don't remember dreams, pat yourself on the back. You're really devoted in life. But for all of us slackers who have the mental capacity to dream, I'm a dreamer. I'm so much a dreamer that on some occasions I can manipulate my dreams. So I know that I'm dreaming and then I can choose for that dream to go somewhere else and do something else, which is nice. I can't always do that, but it's kind of fun. Um, Interestingly enough, there was a time a few years ago, I don't remember the, the exact time, but I started making dreams my idol. I found myself napping more, going to bed earlier, staying in bed later, because I wanted to know what God was going to say to me in the dream. I wanted to know what I was going to dream about. And, and most of the time, the dreams weren't actually from God. It was just because I was used to dreaming. Did you know that the Bible talks about dreams sometimes are not from God? We know, obviously, that some dreams are from God. God shows up in dreams all the time. We see that he showed up to, oftentimes uh, to Joseph. He showed up to multiple people in Scripture. Angels show up in dreams. Um, God communicates messages through dreams. So we know for sure that God shows up in dreams. Here's what we need to understand. Not every dream is from God. Scripture tells us, in fact, Ecclesiastes 5.3 says, For a dream comes through much activity. So Ecclesiastes tells us that if you're super busy during the day and your mind is really 
heavy and weighted down with a lot of things, that can spur dreams. You can be so active in the day that you've not had time to process it that you can dream at night. Sometimes you can have dreams based on the food that you ate, right? Or the movies that you watch before bed or the books that you read. So we have to be able to discern if a dream is from God, from the enemy, from my own needs and desires and wants and thoughts, or from my circumstances. So when we have dreams, I'm here to remind us, it's important to take note of them, write them down. It could be from God, but not every dream is from God. Here's the question I ask when I have a dream. And especially when I hear a dream of yours, a lot of people bring me their dreams. The first question I always ask myself and have the person think about, does it align with God's word? If the dream is telling you to leave your spouse and go be with someone else, I can tell you right now that that dream is not from heaven. If the dream is telling you that you deserve so much more and Justice isn't going to happen unless you fix it, and it's all about self-control and you manipulating your future. I can already tell you it's a dream not of God. Because we can see in Scripture the principles that God lays out for his people so we can weigh the dreams against the word. The butler and the baker had a dream. Verses 6 through 7. Joseph came into them in the morning and looked at them and saw that they were sad. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of his Lord's house, saying, why do you look so sad today? Why do you look so sad today? I actually think that's a hilarious question. You're sitting in prison. (laughs) It's like if you fell down in the parking lot and broke your leg and were crying, I walked up and said, what you crying for? Like, it's a hilarious question. You're sitting in prison, and hey, why are you so sad? But Joseph must have discerned that the sadness was a level beyond typical prisoner sadness. And he had spent his time in the pit. He probably understood the grieving and the loss and the sadness of being in prison, but he saw something different on these two guys. And He asked, why are you so sad? Why are you so sad? Next week, I want to talk to you about the dreams that they had. The incredible lessons that we can learn from them. What God is saying to your dreams. And how to move forward in character through this story in Exodus 40. Will you please stand with me today? homework. Before next Sunday, I want you to finish reading all of chapter 40. All of chapter 40. It's, it's not a long read. It's very interesting. The butler and the baker, I want you to dissect their dream. Just read it. Just read it. You don't have to do anything else but get through all of it at least once. For those of you that like extra credit, those of you that brought a real Bible today, read it three times. Okay? And then we're going to come back next week 
And we're really going to discover what the Bible says about discernment. The key thing that is missing significantly in today's church, discernment. Father, we come before you today. Oh God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that dreams can be from you. God, I thank you that you're doing something in your church. I thank you that everywhere is somewhere as long as you were there. And so God, some of us now are sitting in a prison. Some of us are sitting in a pit. Some of us are slaves in Potiphar's house. Some of us have been accused wrongly. Some of us have been accused accurately. Give us the courage to weigh it in the balance and to grow from it. But God, wherever we are in the room, every location that is represented by the people in this room, I would ask that you would give us eyes to see you, to see where you are. For those in the room who sense a drawing to know more of Jesus, potentially to make him Lord of your life, we know that God sent his son, his one and only son. He became a human so that he could give his life so that you and I could be in relationship. So my sin put him on the cross. Your sin put him on the cross. And he willingly laid down his life. On the third day, the Bible tells us, the scripture says he rose from the dead. And it's through that resurrection that you and I have hope. As we go through this life, the suffering, as we suffer as Christ did, there is hope in a resurrection. And if you're ready to make Jesus Lord of your life, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he gave his life, that he rose again on the third day, just as the scripture said, just as secular historians have attested to, just as over 500 witnesses have given voice to, if you too believe that Jesus is the Son of God and you are ready to surrender your life to Him, whatever that looks like, we don't know yet. It could be hard, it could be easy, will be challenges, but you're ready. You're ready to come home. If that's you, will you raise your hand to me? Thank you for that hand. Thank you for that hand. Anyone else? Just ready to say yes. Thank you for that hand. If you're watching online, just wherever you are, go ahead and raise your hand. Do something of faith in that moment. If you're in the Starbucks line, just honk your horn right now. Just do something to activate your faith. The prayer is simple. Church, will you repeat it after me? It says something like this. Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. And I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that Jesus died on a cross for my sin. I believe that he rose from the grave. And I believe he's coming back again. I choose to lay down my life, my will, my emotions, my heart, my desires. I want to follow you, Jesus. From this moment forward, my life will never be the same. I choose to be a son or daughter. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Amen. There were three people in the room that raised their hand and 10,000 online. Can we just celebrate? Awesome. Awesome. If you said yes, scan the QR code. We want to walk this journey with you. This is absolutely the best decision that you've ever made in your life. That QR code is going to give you some resources to grow. If you need that QR code, I think we have that at the information desk. You're welcome after service to scan that. If we don't have it, I've misspoke, but I'll get it to you as soon as possible. Now, I want to remind you all that Awaken August is when? This Wednesday, 6 p.m. And then at 7.30, we have family night. <clears throat> bring food, bring enough food for Carrie and I and your family. And bring board games. If you've not been, you have to come. We want to see you there. Now that you've been to church, go be the church. We love you. God bless you.